Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Hi folks, welcome to Words and Nerds. I'm Alex Duke, Western Australian crime and thriller writer. And in this takeover episode, I'll be speaking with purveyor of literary adrenaline, Jack Heath. Jack is the award-winning author of 39, yes, 39 thrillers for adults and children. His novels have been translated into eight languages and have been adapted for film. His latest middle grade book, 10 Minutes of Danger, which features 20 different thrilling stories, is available now. He joins me from Canberra. Jack, how are you? Very well, thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me on your special takeover episode. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Um, so in 10 Minutes of Danger, which is great, by the way, everyone, everyone get it. Thank so, you. Um, so in 10 Minutes of Danger, you put 20 different kids through the absolute ringer, having them break volcanoes, tsunamis, and even runaway self-driving cars. A, what do you have against children? And B, what it is, what, what's it about kids that uh, makes them so fearless, do you think? Oh, I, I don't know. I certainly wasn't a fearless child myself. Um, and in fact, sometimes I think these stories have a little bit of wish fulfillment. Like this is the kind of kid that I wish I had been who would sort of face up to danger and try to save other people as opposed to just flee in terror. Um, but in this particular bunch of stories, there's some weird ones, I guess, because when I started writing this series back in uh, 2015 with 300 Minutes of Danger, Um, it was only supposed to be one book with 10 stories in it. So I was able to get all the sort of obvious sources of danger out of the way. There was poison, there was like uh, radiation, and there was a, I don't know, drowning, things like that. Now that this is, I think, the ninth book of the Danger series. And so I'm really, I don't want to say I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel, but (laughs) (laughs) certainly there were weird ones in here like on the one hand I I was surprised that I hadn't had a volcano before but there's a story with a blocked water slide in the book and that's the kind of thing where I'm like okay we're we're nine books into the series I need 20 more stories uh oh what about those scary robots that clean supermarkets like they're they're kind of scary is there a way that I could use one of those to murder a kid (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea where like I don't know in a couple books time of doing doing more of these then you're sort of like okay what's next well uh cost of living is going up maybe there's something in that fuel prices or something i don't know mortgage rates <laughs> although maybe that's perhaps that's more yeah. of a thriller for adults i guess absolutely swooped by magpies you know that that kind of thing uh, swooping oh. season is, is getting closer every year <laughs> i i have not been swooped by a magpie since i was about the age of a, you know one of the characters in this book um but i still have that terror 
And I remember it very clearly. I was riding my bike through a park, you know, typical sort of wide grassy part with tall trees. And then there was like a helicopter, this <laughs> sound. And then just, I didn't know, I sort of did know what it was, but I did know what it was. And anyway, so. Yeah, that, it yeah. really sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely an opportunity to make that terrifying. I think, I often think the, if this isn't too self-aggrandizing to say, I feel like the best fiction either takes um, realistic, it either takes preposterous things and makes them feel real, or it takes real things and makes them feel preposterous, you know? Mm. So sometimes I think the sillier the danger, the the better the story could potentially be. But I don't think I'll use the magpie one because um, my, my wife and I have like a picture book in the back pocket. She's an illustrator uh, about a swooping magpie. So um, if I started throwing that into the danger books as well, then I might get a reputation as the magpie guy. And I wouldn't want that since I hate them so much myself. <laughs> yeah, sure. And there's a yeah, conflict of interest. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, speaking... I don't want my illustrator to sue me, given that she is also my wife. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that would be that would be bad. Um, so on on that, you're talking about, you know, the how it's it's interesting thought um to say that the making something preposterous realistic is a you know one way to do good fiction. Um so how do you ensure that when you're writing for kids, because you know, you're you're not a kid, um, how do you ensure that you're hitting the mark with them and you're not sort of, you know, swinging wildly and missing or, you know, out of touch or anything like that? It does get harder and harder the older I get, I think. So um when I mean I've been writing for kids since I was a teenager like my first book came out when I was 19 and it was teenage fiction so that didn't require much of a leap you know it, it, I, it was very fresh in my memory the sorts of things that teenagers and young people like to read now the hard bit isn't the dangerous situations like I, I feel like a, um, a kid today in 2022 would have the same reaction to um, being in a plane crash that a, a kid in, in 2006 would. The difficult part is at the beginnings of the stories where you're just kind of introducing the character and have to, have to think about what it is that separates them from every other kid I've ever written about, like what their hobbies are. Because I don't actually know how kids these days of the age group that I'm writing about spend their time. Like, what do they even do? I, I have the sort of the the slenderest understanding of other than the fact that I know that TikTok is a thing and that a lot of kids are on it. Like I, <laughs> firstly, that's not very interesting to write about. And secondly, I don't, I, I don't have a, a good understanding of how it works. So fortunately I do have two children of my own. Uh, one of them is three and the other one is eight. So by observing them, I can get sort of a feel for how, how the life, how their lives differ from my own life when I was eight. But but yeah, it's not going to lie. It's getting tougher now. Now that I'm 35, writing writing for kids is harder and harder. But fortunately, the more I do it, I'm also getting more and more experience. So hopefully, the two kind of balance one another out. But I definitely want to quit before the books start getting bad. Like at, sure. at a given yeah. point, when it becomes yeah. impossible to write believably for kids, I'll, I'll just have to switch to being an adult writer full time because I don't want to start phoning it in or, or writing things that make people think I'm out of touch. Well, presumably you've got um, 
the like if you've got an eight-year-old then you've got you know someone who's aging right into that you know that demographic and then a couple years down the line the three-year-old will sort of age into that as well so they can be your sort of uh uh you know sort of first readers or you know your finger on the pulse i would think yeah, that's um, so they already are my first readers in the sense that my my eight year old, um, he I, I read my newest illustrated kids book. I didn't illustrate it, but it's called Bill and Kid Fully Busted and it's for that age group. So I read it to him before it came out and I took notice of the, the bits that he laughed at and the bits that he didn't. So as I knew what needed improving and stuff. But to be honest, I mean, my your family can be your own harshest critics. So it's not always, yes, I can exploit my children for research, but it'll come <laughs> at a great cost to my ego, I think. Um, and it's not just my children, it's my wife, who she is brutally honest about when something isn't working. So sometimes I feel like it would be best to keep my writing from nine to five and then just not even mention it in front of my family. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tricky one for writers, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, someone who's, you know, certainly been published for, um, you know, as I said, that will has thirty nine uh, novels. Out. I imagine you've got a a system or a network of people that you can reliably get, uh, you know, honest, um, constructive feedback from. But if you're, you know, a new new to the writing game, then one of the hardest things to do can actually be finding someone who actually a is willing to read your stuff because um i mean like a lot of people aren't necessarily which is fine you know because it can be a big ask um so a willing to read your stuff but also b you know sort of are able to uh actually give uh useful feedback so i think that can be a really tough yeah. thing it definitely can so you need someone who is uh an avid reader themselves like i don't think I don't think a person giving you feedback needs to be a writer. In fact, sometimes I think it's better if they're not. Um, but they do need to be a keen reader and they do need to be someone who's going to be honest with you. And so that's um, that can be hard at the beginning of your career, but it can also be hard sort of the further in you get. I mean, now that I'm 39 books along and I write three books a year, my my friends may be avid readers and they may be very honest, but they don't have time to read three Jack Heath books a year. They've, they've got jobs, <laughs> you know, they've, they've got their own things going. So nowadays, I mean, it, it's fortunate that obviously I have um, a, a structural editor and a copy editor and a proofreader and all these people who work for the publisher. So that helps. But there are a few people who I kind of bring in in emergencies. So like one of them is, is my wife, if it's a book for the adults and I'm struggling with it, I'll ask her to read it and, and help me. Um, another one is a friend who has sort of knowledge of um, things connected to defence. Um, so he's he's someone who can sort of do the ins and outs of not only bureaucracy, but... but I will say, given you live in Canberra, I assume that it's like a spy or something like that, like an actual... Yeah. I, I do want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are, there are some cool people around in Canberra who are who are useful to to know about. But there's also people like I have a friend who's a doctor, and I have another friend who's a lawyer. So those those people are handy because whenever there's some kind of um, job that requires a lot of expertise, then uh, I, I I like to try to because you don't want to be writing a spy novel and just make the reader feel like all the spy details are borrowed from other spy novels. You have to kind of 
convince them that it feels real. But again, this is one of the things that's tough about writing for kids because the, the young characters in 10 Minutes of Danger, they don't have jobs. They are all just kids. So that's when the, the expertise that I'm leaning on often is teachers that I know. Like I'm like, hey, what, what do kids do? What are they into? What are, what are they like? What is their, what sorts of vocabulary will they be familiar with? So yeah, writing for children is much harder than writing for adults for a variety of reasons. But uh, yeah, that's definitely one of them, like finding readers to give you feedback who have the time and the honesty and all that stuff. I want, speaking of, you know, you, you mentioned you know, comparing the two, writing for kids and writing for adults. Um, I wonder if, because um, my experience is uh, writing just for adults i've never i've never tried to write anything for kids so when i write something for adults i sort of know what i'm at least attempting to achieve and i suppose that is the say if you're writing a thriller for adults you're um uh, i suppose attempting to achieve the outcome that you would feel if you were reading another thriller for adults right, yeah, right. um when you're writing for kids, because you write for you know kids and adults, when you're writing for kids, are you trying to like achieve a different thing for both, or is it kind of the same thing that you're wanting to get out get out of it? Yeah, I I think I know what you're getting at. So because when I'm writing for adults, yes, I just write the kind of book that I would like to read. Whereas when I'm writing for kids, there's an extra step. It's it's often more like I'm writing the kind of book that I would have enjoyed when I was a kid. And one of the things that actually makes it easier is that you can, I mean, the books that I read as a kid, this new generation of kids, they have not read because I'm not talking about the, the classics, the sort of Harry Potters of the stuff of, of the world. I'm, I'm thinking about books like the Animorph series or um, uh, Doctor Who novelizations or uh, all these other books that I loved as a kid that that this new generation of kids won't have read. So that means there is an opportunity for you to kind of go, hey, um, what what's something that happened in a book that I liked when I was young that I haven't had the chance to write about myself? And one was, for example, this is a very old sci-fi trope, but you know how there's always a, a book in a series or an episode of a TV show back in the day where the main character would be forced to fight a version of themselves from another dimension. Like that happened in every single show I watched when I was a kid. I'd never written about it before. So I managed to squeeze it into 10 minutes of danger. And there's other things like, I feel like every show um, included an episode where the main character was shrunk down so as they could be injected into somebody and like, yep. I don't know, use a bomb, bomb that was inside them or fight a virus or something like that. I've never had the opportunity to write about that. So that's the kind of thing that I might put into my next danger book because I'm like, okay, that's an idea that's old hat for me. I've seen it several times. I'm sure you have as well. You started nodding as soon as I mentioned it, but there would be kids today who've just never come across that idea before. So writing for kids is a great way to kind of try your hand at things that are that have been done to death, but that you still want to experiment with without boring your readers, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's um it's interesting you mention that because it makes me think of that. I mean, there's there's sort of those tropes with um, you know, in films particularly, uh, that the tropes almost become their own like genre. So, like, one that yeah. really obviously springs to mind is um, Groundhog Day, that, like, device yeah. of, you know, waking up in the same day forever. Now there's, 
um, you know, like a multitude of, you know, movies that don't even attempt to hide the fact that they're doing the Groundhog Day thing, but they're kind of doing it their way with their spin on it. And, you know, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel like the the first person who does it is, you know, being original and, and that's, you know, art. And then the second person who does it, that's a ripoff. And then the third person who does it, that's a genre. So mm. the mm. trick is just not to be the second person to use the same idea. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So um, what sort of thing did uh, you read when you were a kid? Um, obviously, you're drawing on a, uh, a rich, uh, you know, history, personal history of um, reading when you were a kid. Mm. So um, I read heaps and heaps and heaps of Emily Rodder. Um, she's, I feel like, best known or best remembered now for the Del Toro Quest books, but that was actually a little bit after my time. I read the Teen Power Inc. books, which were later re-released as the Raven Hill Mysteries. So this was my first introduction to crime fiction. They were like a bunch of teenagers, but young teenagers who had a sort of babysitter's club type vibe where they would they would do odd jobs in exchange for money but almost always discover some kind of crime that had been committed and had to investigate it um i read heaps of animorphs as i mentioned heaps of doctor who novelizations as i mentioned a lot of jackie french um she had a, a book called the metal men that i loved and another one called summerland and so she had kind of a mixture of sci-fi and fantasy and uh, various other things there. Basically, my favourite time of year was always when the Scholastic Book Club catalog. I was, was just thinking of that. I was yeah, just right. thinking so of I would, that. I would just circle heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff. Goosebumps as well, obviously. So um, I'd circle all those things in the Scholastic Book Club catalog. My mum and dad would then kind of vet them. Um, at the time, they said they just wanted to check that things were appropriate, but probably they also wanted to check that I wasn't ordering, you know, very expensive junk. Um, and then, well, actually, that was my second favourite time. My most favourite time was when the books were actually handed out in those sort of brown paper bags and kind of put on the desks. Um, I don't know if my brown paper bag was bigger than that of the other kids because I wasn't paying any attention to anyone other than myself, but I suspect it was. I... Uh, my mum and dad were very generous with the books. So I read a lot of stuff. And in addition to that, I often made them read it too. Like not to me, I would read it to myself and then I would recommend it to my parents. I'd be like, you have to read this. It's amazing. And then they would patiently read it and presumably see all the twists coming because they do. And then we would have a discussion about what worked and what didn't. We would sort of review the book to each other. So I feel like that really helped me kind of build an instinct for what made a story work or not. Oh, Point Crime as well. Do you remember Point Crime, that series? I don't know. Yeah, there was one. So there were, again, crime books for kids that probably mm. pitched a little bit older than the, the Teen Power Inc. ones. But um, there was one in particular that was basically a ripoff of And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. But of course, I was a kid. I hadn't read And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. So that's um, so derivative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and in addition to that, there were often things that I was too young to read, but that my parents would tell me about, like, like a bedtime story. So once my parents started telling me this bedtime story that I thought they were making up on the spot, and it turned out to be Star Wars, I realized that later. <laughs> <laughs> and so I first heard the story of Star Wars like as a bedtime story and other things like um, the portrait of Dorian Gray 
I just loved the idea of that book. Never yeah. read it, but my parents would be like, and the painting of him got older and older and older, but he stayed young and beautiful forever. And I'd be like, whoa, that's so creepy. Jekyll and yeah, Hyde, that's pretty uh, I was told in that same one as well. So yeah, I was just surrounded by stories all the time. That's that's awesome. I was just, um, I'm just trying to remember, um, there was a series that Morris Gleitzman, I believe it was Morris Gleitzman and Paul Jennings wrote together. Yeah, yeah, and there was there was something about like like shiny poo or something. Am I? I don't know I, if I'm remembering that correctly. I don't remember shiny poo. I do remember the wait singing poo. Or is wait is this still part of the the wicked series? Because mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this makes radio. But I remember the, um, the the Gizmo series with like the the little sort of robot ball that does stuff, and I remember the the Wicked series, which um, definitely had some kind of identical twin twist. I remember at the end of one of the books, it was like the boy I came face to face with was a dead ringer for me, and I was like, "Whoa, what a twist!" Mum and Dad, what's a dead ringer? <laughs> okay jack here we go like that sort of sometimes you know you can get a sense from the tone that there's a big twist even if you don't actually understand what it was because you're too young this was the case with jokes as well i used to read a lot of calvin and Hobbes, the comic books about um calvin and his pet tiger and um for example there would be a um uh what a, a comic strip that ended with um, Calvin muttering about Philistines. And I'd be like, ha, 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 because I could tell that was the joke and then have to ask mum and dad what a Philistine was. Because <laughs> you can sometimes you can laugh at a joke without getting it and not even because you're pretending, but just because you can tell there is one and it becomes this sort of instinctive response. The thing I like and about that is what you just described, I think, is a Calvin and Hobbes comic where Calvin is reading it and goes, ha, 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 Philistines. What's a Philistine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that Calvin would do, actually. It makes perfect sense. By the way, I think the, I'm not sure if Shiny Poo is correct, but they, uh, the books I was thinking of were called Deadly by Morris Gleitzman and Paul Jennings. Oh. Similar vibe, yeah. the sort of six books they wrote together, six book series. Yeah, um, okay. I wonder if Wicked actually existed or if I'm thinking of Deadly. No, uh, I think they both did. I think they both did. Okay. Um, Sing and Poo was a catch, but Sing and Poo might have been a different thing. Okay. We'll Definitely have to get the... Uh, all right. We'll have to get the brains trust onto that one. Um, yeah. So I'm interested to talk about how you began, um, uh, you know, your journey to being, you know, a full-time writer, writing three books a year. Cast mm -hmm. your mind 39 books back to when you were 19 as you said um tell me tell me that story how you got into this yeah well so uh, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be a writer like I spent my childhood years telling as soon as I discovered that that was a job that a person could have I started telling everyone that that was the job that I was going to have um there was a an interlude of a couple of years in high school where I thought I might have been able to be a professional musician but before and after that it was definitely all writing all the time um so but when I was 13 years old um I met this girl her name was Kate and I really liked her and she really liked reading and that made her as kind of rarity I was I liked reading she liked reading the, the rest of the, the class not so much 
And so I was really interested in her and I told her that I was a writer and she asked the fairly reasonable question of like, what have you written? And the answer was, well, basically nothing. I'd just been going around telling everyone that I was going to be a writer someday. So that kind of forced me to put my money where my mouth was and start writing a book. And that first book was a, a bit of a mashup of, um, it, it was kind of like the main character from Final Fantasy VIII, if you remember that game, dropped into the setting of the movie Alien, where not space necessarily, but you know, one company kind of runs everything and crushes everyone under their boots. And the, um, and the plot more or less from Metal Gear Solid with a dash of Hitman. So there were a lot of influences all kind of squished together that made this book. Um, and when it was eventually published, when I was 19, it was, uh, uh, people said it was a ripoff of Maximum Ride by James Patterson, which I hadn't even read. So that's one of the things that happens if you borrow from enough different places, sometimes you end up writing something that resembles something else entirely. But anyway, so I sent it off to the publisher when I was 17. Um, and I got some feedback that they said, well, firstly, it's too short. I'd pitched it to them as a book for adults. And, um, and I'd also told them it was only 45,000 words long because I didn't know how long a book was supposed to be. I didn't know anything. I was 17. And um, they said, okay, yeah, we like your writing style, but it's much too short. So we'd better send the manuscript back because I'd, I'd physically posted it to them. That was how you did things wow. in um, 2000. I guess we're talking about now and um and I was like no 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 I'll make it longer <laughs> so I rewrote it so as it became about 95,000 words long I think and then they said yeah we still like it but now it reads more like a YA novel so now it's about 25,000 words too long so I was like okay I'll rewrite it again so um I over that back and forth back and forth a couple of years of editing I would love to pretend to you that I was some kind of child prodigy but I really wasn't most of what I know about how to write I learned from that process of like working with the Pan Macmillan structural editor and copy editor and proofreader and all that stuff and so then I wrote that book it was um a, a big success in Australia and in the United States I think Partly, again, I'd love to pretend that was because it was an amazing book, but it got a lot of publicity as well because I was so young when it came out and people are always looking for that young hotshot debut novelist that they can pay attention to. And, um, which, and I assume that level of success was the norm, which so it came as a nasty <laughs> shock when my second book came out the following year and just no one wanted my second book or my third or my fourth or my fifth. And, so, um, but I didn't quit writing because I, well, firstly, because I loved it. And secondly, I had no other skills other than music. So I kept kind of um, plugging away at it. And then that process of kind of writing books and then being rejected, but writing more books and still looking for a publisher, my agent, thankfully, didn't drop me, even though the publisher did. And eventually, um, I managed to get in a room with Scholastic Australia, who uh, said, look, we want, um, we're looking for something Goosebumps-ish. Our idea is that we will, uh, you know those birthday cards where you open them up and they go, doo, 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 doo. well, we are thinking we'll have a book series where um, you can open it up and it goes, ah! and it's called the Screen Series and that'll like call some attention to it. And I was like, okay, I'll write that. What do you want it to be about? And they're like, we don't care. We just want it to be, called the screen series and kind of goosebumps-ish. 
So I went, okay, I can do that. So I wrote that those four books in about four months, I think. Um, and that was, which was a huge endeavor, not least because um, I just had, my wife and I had just had a baby. <laughs> How <laughs> old are you at this stage, by the way? Oh, shoot. I don't know. This is, uh, I want to say it's about 2014 and I'm 35 now. So quick maths. I don't know. Let, let's say I was in my mid twenties. Um, and so I wrote the Scream series. It didn't perform very well, but the publisher was very impressed by my ability to write such clean copies so quickly to such a high standard. So it didn't sell well, but they didn't blame me. They were professionals. They know that it's just the roll of the dice. So that meant that they, they went, okay, let us pitch something else to you. What about a book of short stories called 30 Minutes of Danger? That was the original title. And I said, what would the stories be about? And they said, I don't know, something dangerous. We only have the title, 30 Minutes of Danger. So I went, okay. So I, I wrote 300 Minutes of Danger. And then that just went gangbusters. So this is in 2015 now. And I didn't know that it was going gangbusters, by the way. I didn't find out until something like, because uh, you don't get a royalty check until kind of nine months later. So I remember I was on my way, I was, I got, got into the car so as I could drive to my day job. And then my wife wearing a dressing gown, like runs out of the house, waving an envelope and crying. And I'm like, what's going on? I thought someone had died. And she's like, you just got paid $22,000. And I'm like, what for? And she's like, I don't know, I thought you would know. <laughs> and I'm like, could it be royalties like I've never had royalties before or not you know serious royalties so I didn't quit the day job right away I kept going at it for like two years but eventually you know I wrote sequels I wrote other series I started writing for adults and eventually I managed to sort of clamber my way up to the point where I was able to pay the mortgage and and just quit and become a full-time writer so that's the short version that's that's cool and uh, I, I also love the idea that you know, you, as you referred to a few minutes ago, the, um, you know, the joy of being in like year two or something, flicking through that scholastic, uh, you know, catalogue, picking out the no, you know, latest monster blood book. And then you're in, you know, you're in with scholastic, you know, in the room um, That's and they're right. it, it, pitching you. It really does feel like things have come around full circle. And whenever my eight year old comes home with scholastic book club catalogue, I, the rush of pride that I feel seeing my own book in it when there almost always is one these days, it just never gets old. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Switching gears slightly, uh, your 2021 adult thriller Kill Your Brother was just nominated for Best Crime Fiction at the Ned Kelly Awards. And for that, I say congratulations because that's a <laughs> that's a pretty big deal. Uh, Thank you're you very much. Yeah, yeah. You're, well, you're alongside authors like Candace Fox, Mark Brandy, and Kyle Perry. That's got to feel pretty good. It certainly does. If there's if there's one um, you know list that I admire more than the Scholastic Book Club catalogue, it would be the the Ned Kelly Awards. It's a huge honour to be amongst them, um, and it really uh, lucky too because that's been a, a difficult um, book to promote for a variety of reasons. But most recently, I'm, I think my Facebook page has been restricted because the title of the book is, is considered incitement to violence. At least I assume that's why my Facebook profile has been restricted. So I'm, I'm really grateful to sort of people like the readers and the Ned Kelly judges and all these other people around me supporting the book that I am not really in a position to promote myself. 
Yeah, well, I can say I, I read it and it's a it's a cracking read. So, um, you know, uh, Jack can do it all. <laughs> He's got you covered. Um, as, by the way, as a side note, um, I uh, as I was thinking about this earlier, um, I actually can imagine Kill Your Brother also being the title of a middle grade book, but it's like about like a nine-year-old girl who like hates her smelly brother or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Just maybe. Suggestion. <laughs> I'll yeah. um maybe I can do sort of a, a middle grade spin-off um called but it would have to be called like kill your little brother or something like that yeah 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 <laughs> so um so what's uh, what's next in the pipeline Mr Heath uh as usual there's a there's a fair amount so there's um 300 minutes of mystery which is already written but not edited um but that has been pushed back a little bit so as I can write a, um, a young adult crime novel, which um, uh, it's too soon to say anything about it, but I want to write it quickly because that genre is kind of hot right now and I'm trying not to, to miss that particular bandwagon. In addition to that, I've got a book that I, um, today is kind of my last day on the structural edit for, which is called Headcase. That's the fourth book of my Hangman series. The Hangman series is the one about the, um, the cannibal who works for the FBI, but in Headcase, what a twist. He's a cannibal who works for the CIA, completely different. <laughs> and um, I also just received some feedback, well, the copy editor's notes or the structural edit notes rather on a book called Kill Your Husband, which is the sequel to Kill Your Brother. So that too is written, but not edited. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of things, but those, those are my main, those feel like my main projects right now. Kill Your Husband and Headcase for adults and then for kids, 300 Minutes of Mystery and this young adult crime thriller with the working title of Mute User. Great. Well, if anyone wants to grab that little soundbite of this is my next project, Kill Your Husband, as just, you know, and a quote attributable to Jack Heath, um, if you ever want to, <laughs> you know, get him in hot water. Um, if anyone from yeah, ASIO is this as well. Get me banned off Twitter as well and maybe YouTube. <laughs> you, can, you can get me kicked off all sorts of social media platforms for incitement to violence. Yeah, I feel like that's what you're aiming for. You just want an excuse to not use social media. I do kind of hate social media. So, yeah, getting, getting kicked off it might be uh, not a bad thing. Mm, okay. Well, you, maybe, maybe you can have a book called Kill Your kill your dms i don't know something <laughs> who knows yeah now, okay now we, we're gonna have to bleep that name out because you don't want the <laughs> sort of uh you know a black bag going over your head in the middle of the night all right jack um that'd be great research <laughs> yeah well you just have to get back you know get back from it i guess um all right jack uh thank you so much for your time uh, really appreciate it. You've obviously got bucket loads in the pipeline, so I'm sure we'll be hearing from you uh, very soon. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for your time and looking forward to seeing what you're doing next. Thanks so much for having me, Mr. Alex Duke. Uh, good luck with your own writing. I look forward to reading books by you as well. Thank you very much. <laughs>